You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my gosh. Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it. Players, coaches, insiders. Let's go. And of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy Duddies. Now, swag. Here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around Week 5 edition. I'm Andrew Mason, and thanks for joining me. Let's kick this off with the man who could be making his NFL debut as a punter on Sunday, Broncos practice squad member Colby Wadman. With Marquette King doubtful for the Jets game, Wadman could find himself realizing his dream, but also facing a challenge in punting to New York's outstanding returner, Andre Roberts. Ryan Edwards and I caught up with Wadman to talk about his opportunity and the winding road he took to get here. All right, we are chatting with uh, punter. Colby Godman, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're doing great. Thanks so much for the time. So uh, getting ready potentially for this game, I mean, uh, just been in ta- town for a little over a week and a half. Uh, what's your mentality as uh, the coaching staff obviously might potentially have to lean on you for this week, this weekend? You know, I'm just uh, just kicking, just taking it day by day. Um, you know, whatever the coaches tell me to do, I'm just soaking it all in, doing what I can, uh, just learning the game plan, obviously, making sure I know the schemes going in, so I'm confident with that. And I feel really good about where I'm, where I'm at kicking. I've been kicking well, um, and I'm really confident about it. So, If you have to punt Sunday, going up against a guy like Andre Roberts, one of the better punt returners in this league, what do you do to kind of adjust for someone like him? Well, the biggest thing is just hang time, just making sure I give the guys the front 10 enough time to get down there and tackle him. So, yeah, I'd say just hang time and getting it out to the sideline so that really you can corral and use that 12th man in the sideline like Coach always talks about. So I think those are really the biggest things and really the things I've been focusing on out in the field and really trying to prepare myself and get ready for that. Now, of course, you'll be, you'll be potentially punting in New York, but um, i got to imagine the opportunity to kick at mile high has uh, not gone unnoticed as far as how much further the ball is going for you. Yeah, yeah, it's been nice. Um, I've noticed it a little bit. I mean, truthfully, I haven't really been paying that much attention to it. But, I mean, yeah, definitely there's a few kicks where maybe I mishit it a little bit, but you can definitely tell the altitude has definitely helped it a little bit. When you've punted at altitude before, you had a game at CSU, I think, in 2014. Did you notice a difference in that game compared to back at Davis? I mean, honestly, not really for that game. I just, for the direction and uh, distance, I didn't really notice too much of a difference in terms of how much higher the hang time was or the distance or anything like that. But I'd say definitely the only thing is, yeah, if you do kind of miss hit the ball, hit it a little thin, it definitely, I feel like it might carry a little bit more. But as terms of hitting a clean ball, hitting the same one, it looks kind of the same to me. I mean, oftentimes I think we, we get into the differences of college versus pro. For a punter, what do you view that as different at all for punting? Well, the only thing is the game speed is obviously just a little bit quicker. The guy's coming at you a little bit faster. you got to uh, handle time is a little bit more of an issue. Um, but other than that, for me, kicking personally is just kind of the same thing. I don't want to make it any more than it actually is, make it any bigger of a situation than it really is. I'm just At the end of the day, I'm just kicking, and I do that every single day when I go out there by myself when I'm just with another snapper and we're just working out. So I don't really want to try and psych myself out in anything or make it any bigger than it really is. It's just kicking at the end of the day, just making sure I hit the right ball, making sure I hit the same ball. I've always hit every single time I go out there. So Now you were with the Raiders earlier this year. They let you go. What did you do in the interim to kind of stay in punting shape and be ready for this opportunity? Um, just been, I actually got a membership to 24. So each day I'd just go out making sure I was getting a couple workouts in each week. I was kicking. I'd work out with some local snappers, other kickers I knew from the area. We'd kind of get together just so we can keep each other fresh and kind of do a little bit of a game speed thing. I'd get some snaps from them. 
Um, and I went down to San Diego a few times and actually worked with former kicker John Carney, who played in the league for a little bit. I worked with him a couple times, um, and he really helped me out too and just got me ready for it. So, What are those conversations like, generally speaking, with punters? you just talk, talk a lot of technique? Do you talk about uh, uh, ways to improve hang time? And what are those conversations like? Yeah, usually it's just kind of we'll just be watching each other and just being like, hey, your ball dropped a little bit in here. You got a little bit long with your steps or like you weren't following up and through and that's why you hit it and kind of went off to the side. It's just little things like that because we're all at a pretty elite level, the guys I've been training with. So it's little, just little things like that. It's nothing big. But, um, yeah, just kind of keeping each other consistent and keeping, helping each other out. When you're pursuing the dream of an NFL job, what are the things you kind of do to kind of keep your focus and keep your morale up? Because, look, a lot of punters, it's taken two or three stops before they found their long-term home. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, there are a few days where I was just sitting at home. It had been a few months, a few weeks since I got a call. Um, and I'd be watching watching the games and just seeing other guys like kick, kick and I'd just be like, dude, I can think I can do that. I, I can definitely do that on game days. But, I mean, just kind of understanding the grind and through – since I graduated, I gave myself a three-year process, so I knew up until next season, I mean, after that, I'd probably stay in shape, but next season, up through next season, I was going to give it everything I had, and I was just going to solely focus on that. I mean, I got a little bit of small job, and I was living at home with my parents, so, but yeah, definitely, there were some times where it was difficult, but I just kept saying, just trust the process, just keep going. It's going to be worth it someday, so and just even pursuing this, like, is even just a great opportunity so I can look back and just be like, you know, I gave it everything I had, if nothing was to work out, so. Last question for me, what's your early impressions of Tom McMahon being here? Oh, I love him. I mean, like I said earlier, you guys might have seen it in an earlier um, article that me and him go back to when he was in Indy. He worked me out there, brought me into rookie minicamp, so he's been super helpful, building up my confidence, telling me how much he believes in me this week and throughout this whole time, and he's a really great coach. He's really helped me with technique, with everything, helped me get the balls to where I'm supposed to be, get the hang time I need to be, making sure I'm getting the ball off in time so I love him he's a great coach and you mentioned small jobs what kind of small jobs were you able to take that allowed you the time to work on your pony yeah so after I graduated last year I, and I stayed in Davis to hang out with some friends and I was just working a small pizza job just delivering pizzas just to pay, pay the rent I was living with some teammates um, and actually after it was mid-December, I moved back home with my parents, and this whole time I've been doing a bunch of kicking camps, and obviously I signed with Oakland, so I wasn't working a small job, and I came back, and I, was, I gave myself the plan after I graduated, or not graduated, after I got released by Oakland, I told myself, all right, the end of training camp, if nothing happens, I'm going to go find a small job, and actually, the day I got the call, or the text from Coach McMahon, I was about to go start applying to like jobs like Dick's or anything, and then my mom, who's a PA, her boss needed some help with some filing and just doing some little things like that, transferring from some files over. So I was literally about to, my mom was getting that set up, I was about to make the call, and then McMahon texted me, and I, my agent got the call saying they're bringing you in for a workout. So. It's important to remember that there are many more stories like Wadman's around the NFL, guys who got to the league working on jobs, trying to stay in shape, hoping for that elusive chance. So many players that are not making the Mega Bucks have an NFL experience just like that. Wadman could be hours from the chance of a lifetime, and hopefully he'll do well with it. Now on to the game and a few other random topics in my usual conversation with Orange and Blue 760's esteemed Andy Lindahl. The man on your list, the hit list, I shushed Andrew because I was in the middle. You know, I, I had it going on. You know an animal house where he says, stop it, you don't worry about it, he's on a roll? Yeah. Well, I was on a roll. I had to but I had no sidekick to tell you to just let me keep going. Because I had to interject my thoughts that the only helmet that CU should be wearing is the gold helmet. I, I don't want to see you. black. I don't want to see white. I only want to see gold. You won't. I won't argue with you. I won't. I, you yeah. know, look, to me, I'm the old guy. Quit rolling out 30 different uniforms. You know, it's fine. Home, away, an alternate or two, 
fine, okay? Stop. They're not pajamas. They're not Kim Kardashian shoe collection. Just pick a couple of them and let's go, okay? I don't need you wearing 20. I want to be able to turn on a game come bowl season and know who the hell is playing each other, not have to wait for the score ticker to pop up to explain who's who. That was actually what I was going to say. Sometimes I'll be flipping around on Saturday, and I'll see a uniform like, well, they're in gray. Uh, Who's that? Oh, it's Oregon, even though there's no gray in the color scheme. They wore silver and white last week. Where's your green and yellow? Yeah. What? Just give me some identifying mark as to what school you are. And, you know, that was cute when you had Marcus Mariota and you were winning, you know, Big 12 championships and all that. It's not so cute when you're not very good. And the other thing, it's even creeping into the NFL a little bit. The Detroit Lions last week come out in their pencil-led gray uniforms top to bottom. I had to think twice before I realized who it was. Yeah, I didn't mind the look of the uniform, but again, as you said, it's Detroit. Can I'm just like, here we go. You know, and yet, are we wearing Color Rush this year? Yes, Pittsburgh game. <sighs> All right. Okay. I think there are elements of a great, iconic uniform in the Broncos' Color Rush outfit. The helmet with the old-school logo, the consistent stripes on the helmet— in terms of the pattern in the helmet, the sleeve, and the pants, I just don't like orange on orange. It's too much orange. Look, the deal is we have, and I don't know how you get around it, because I know there's the concussion protocol. Maybe you make the guys wear two helmets throughout the year. I don't know. But I, we've talked about this before. I would rather see a throwback uniform game. Give me the Broncos and their old school Ds that they wore in the 80s when John Elway made them a a super relevant factor in the league. Wear those uniforms. Chris Harris told me last week in his pregame he'd love to wear that uniform. He thinks it's a really cool uniform. Wear that. Do do a throwback. When the Broncos, what would have been really cool, remember in Josh McDaniel's first year where they did the true AFL throwback game and unfortunately we got stuck in the Browns, but the Patriots wore their old school red uniform with the Patriots snapping the football. Give me that uniform against the Broncos in their classic Ds. Put it on a Thursday night. Boom. You know, boom. Go ahead. They'd have to change the one helmet shell rule that is in place. But, Andy, I think in 2019, if they could change that rule, it is the NFL's 100th season. There is such a beautiful opportunity there for the league to celebrate its history and the teams to celebrate their histories. Just go nuts for one year. Throw all the rules out. Throw caution to the wind. The Broncos have eight home games. I'd like to see them wearing... Brown for at least one, brown and yellow. I'd like to see the Crazy Horse uniform from the 1960s for at least one game. I'd love to see the old school D on the blue helmet with the orange jerseys for one game. I'd love to see the blue and white of Super Bowl 32 that year that the Broncos stuck with for 15 years. I'd love to see that. And then two or three games in your current uniform. What would be wrong with that? I'm with you. I have no problem with it. Now, I don't really want the brown to come back, but everything else I'm okay with. Andrew. All of them would sell. That's the other thing. Oh, it's I a marketing and merchandising opportunity. All of these things would sell. You know, I actually have a pair of brown and yellow socks that they made a few years ago that I bought at the team store. Oh, well. Striped when, socks. Vertically striped socks. When I was doing the show with Romy, she's actually got one of the old school cheerleading outfits from that era. Yeah. With the, I mean, just ridiculously gigantic pom-poms. <laughs> I was like, come on. Now, I don't know. Do you remember those? They had them that they they were wearing them that game, I guess. And I don't even remember Did what they the have cheerleaders fringe? out. 
I don't even remember. You know why? All I remember is how I was like those pom-poms. It was like you stole the Snuffleupagus head, and they were cheering with two of them. It was unbelievable, Andrew. So, anyway, we digress. There's business to handle. There is How are you feeling? Handle. How are you feeling, Mr. Andrew Mason? I'm going to go ahead and bounce our Thursday poll question off of you. Okay. As a Bronco fan, how confident are you? Now, I know a little bit because I listen to your show first in 10 to 10. Uh, I don't know that you're quite to the Ryan Edwards level, and we'll get to that in a second, but how confident are you going into this game against the Jets? Reasonably confident if the Broncos come out and run the football, and here's why. In the Todd Bowles era, since 2015, the New York Jets are 4-16 and when the opponent runs for 120 or more yards, and the Broncos have reached 120 in every game so far this season. They are 2-19 and 19 when the opponent rushes at least 30 times. And they are 1-16 and 16 when the opponent runs more often than they pass. So there you go. Run the ball. If you run the ball, do what you do best. And look, after four games, you know more about your team. You know what your core competencies are to some degree after four games. At least you've got a good idea. And I think what's clear for the Broncos right now of all the areas on the team, what they're doing the best is running the football with Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. Keep doing that. And particularly with Andy Janovich blocking, the Broncos are averaging 6.6 yards per carry when Janovich is on the field. Well, and I, I like the strategy. And, you know, I, I will say this, and it, it's probably a bad trait because I'm in the media and you're supposed to do this, but – I really hate the Monday morning quarterbacking because I think like a lot of things in life, play calling is something where if it would have worked, we wouldn't have cried about it. But when you go three and out and there isn't a run in the mix, that's hard not to make comment on, right? Now, again, if Bill, if Bill Musgrave's plays happen to work, no one's crying about that because you picked up the first down. It's only because they didn't that were happen to say something, you know, and it was just a tough time in the game to have to give the ball back. I'm with you on the running. Now, here's the thing, though. I, I'm, on, I'm with you on the running, and I want to make this clear. It's not because they don't have faith in Case Keenum, and it's not, certainly, because they don't have faith in what I think is a marvelous receiving core. I think both are in place. But the running, I, I feel like, especially with this offensive line, and now you're going to be, I don't know what's going to happen with Valdir, but it's not looking good, right? Uh, and you need that guy to play. And I think I don't have to. I don't have to. You don't have to be a genius or even a football expert to know Garrett Bowles is struggling. All you have to do is look at the penalty numbers. So I think when you run the ball, you protect him a little bit more as well. And I think if you get good pass rushers, you can't let them have a whole bunch of snaps against him. Keep his confidence high. You keep the ball going. And more importantly, Andrew, you wear the other team out. You wear the. I'm sorry, Seattle was too tired to mount anything. So the were the Raiders, Raiders were too at the tired. end. Yes. And it's something Gary Kubiak used to great effectiveness during his time here. So many times people were complaining. I can remember during 2015, why are you running the ball in the first half? It doesn't seem to be working because you know what? There's net gains when you're putting a guy on the ground and you're running at him on the defensive line. And after a while, he's just too tired to keep having himself run at. And it helps you pass the ball. Yeah. Because at the end of that Raiders game, yeah, the Broncos are passing on that drive to Brandon McManus's game-winning field goal. But... The runs over the course of the game set up to where when you saw Bruce Irvin and everyone on the Oakland defense between plays on that last drive, you're seeing a lot of guys that are on one knee. You're seeing hands on hips. You're seeing the heavy breathing 
They I, were exhausted. I saw corners literally begging to come out of the game that they didn't have subs for. Matter of fact, I had said on – now, it didn't, doesn't matter. You got the win. But it was interesting. On the last drive, that, that play to Jake Butt that picked up the first down where he ran outside and it was just a little short out route. Yes. Emmanuel ran almost a twin route about 15 yards deeper – Broke away from his guy. Now, there was a play to be had. Case went with the short guy. It all worked out. I'm not complaining about who he chose to throw to. I'm just saying Emmanuel's guy was in my line of sight. And, again, I think it was uh, Hall, their older corner. Again, hand up, asking to come out, limping around like he was cramping up. They couldn't get him out of the game. The only mistake I think you kind of made there, and, again, it didn't matter. You won the game, was you didn't go after him again. I, I don't think anybody on the Broncos huddle noticed, but he was begging to be taken out of the game. So you run at them. Yes, you won't have the advantage of being at 5,280 feet above sea level in New York on Sunday, or in New Jersey, I should say, but you run the ball. You do what you do best. Right now, the best aspect of this team, not just this offense, this team, the most consistent aspect is the running game, handing the ball to Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, splitting the carries between them, maybe a, a carry or two for Devontae Booker, the occasional end around for Emmanuel Sanders. That's working. How pretty was the Royce Freeman run, by the way? I mean, oh all, my I, goodness! I, I mean, so Philip Lindsay has like the easy. He he's just he's got the big plays. Got the you know it's so fast, it's so sudden. I think it's easy to admire. Uh, Royce Freeman running to the side and waiting for the lane to open up, as Tyler Columbus so aptly described, waiting for Billy Turner to finally get over and get his block. And I say finally only because he was pulling from the other side. Um, but letting Billy Turner get that block, the, the amount of patience that was shown on that run, it was it was almost Terrell Davis-like. I mean, the last back that I saw, I'm not calling Royce Freeman the, the next Terrell Davis, but the last time I saw a running back not almost spazzing to get to the hole here was, was he or Clinton Portis. They just had that sort of, I'm okay, and as soon as the hole opened up there, foot's in the ground and I'm gone. But, you know, it wasn't this run up the backside of my lineman kind of stuff or run to the hole too quickly. I can see it coming. It's like he was a little bit of the matrix. I know it's all going to open up if I just take a breath here, and it was perfect. And then he accelerated, and he was gone. I mean, looking at that touchdown run that he had, he had three defenders that were closing in on him, and he just waited. And then when he had that little crease, he just takes off. And his cutting ability, his vision, that allows him to get the touchdown. Well, and how about, I mean, I know why KC isn't a very good defense, but I feel like a lot of NFL secondaries are making the same. Why do you think you can take that kid up high? He's a full-grown man now when he comes to make contact. I've got three or four pictures from the sidelines with Chiefs going for a ride. One of them a linebacker. I saw the highlight again last night where the linebacker's grabbing his jersey trying to pull. I'm like, I don't know what tackle technique that is, but it ain't working against him, dude. You're going to have to find something else. Philip Lindsay's on a 1,000-yard pace so far this season. Royce Freeman, not quite on a 1,000-yard pace through four games, but he's only, uh, I think, 31 yards off of that. That would give him He's probably a holding call or so away, right? Yes. Point being, you could have something special with this combination. I don't know if it was what everyone was kind of projecting going in, thinking, okay, Philip Lindsay might just be the change of pace back, but this might be a thunder and lightning type of complimentary situation between Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. Well, and I think one of the things that really, you know, I haven't watched all the snaps, so I don't know. 
But I, I know this. What I love about Philip Lindsay right now, from my perception, just in this conversation, not saying that I've watched all the tapes, so it's the perfect meter, meter here. But, Andrew, I feel like you can put Philip Lindsay in there, and you can do it with the group of the three wides if you need to. Then you get lighter personnel in there. And even with more defensive backs, he's still too quick for him. He's still too quick for him. And if you put the heavy personnel in there, and they have an extra big linebacker, so that, that guy's not catching him. And he's still not afraid to run in the middle of the line. I mean, there's a lot of things that have been so super impressive about Philip Lindsay, and the Broncos have done a great job of getting him out wide. Um, it, is the, it is really the perfect combo because I, I feel like some Philip Lindsay's almost like the no-huddle offense for these guys. He comes in. He seems to have an immediate impact. He's usually picking up a big chunk on his first couple runs. And when it gets that first first down, it's like they just get going. I can't explain it. But it, it, he is a tempo changer, Andrew. He's just a tempo changer. And you got to keep it active. And it's going to be important, I think, against the Jets. I heard you guys on Thursday talking on first and 10 to 10. Uh, is it Jamal? Jamal Adams? Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, our safety. Future All-Pro in the making. The guy that you've got to account for pre-snap and know exactly where he is and there's not a weakness in his game he's very good in coverage he's outstanding coming forward against the run he's a good pass rusher when they ask him to blitz can do everything and he's their leader on the defensive side well there's another young guy that I think you want to keep you know as good as you just you just described he's not seen everything so I think you want to fool him and keep him off balance with the run pass the same way that you're going to want to go after Sam Darnold and, again, a young guy. I heard Brandon Marshall talking to you guys. He, he didn't want to say it, but we all know what he means. He's a young guy, so we should be able to fool him with some of our coverages and some of our blitzes. He, we, we should be able to let him think one guy's coming when really it's the other guy. And also saying that, look, the Jets' offense, it's not like the Chiefs' offense. It's a little bit simpler as far as what you're trying to read and what they're doing. See, and I heard you guys. I thought you were being so respectful, and I hope people don't misunderstand it because I agree with you and, and Brandon Marshall. He called it vanilla, and you guys were calling it the V word. And I hope people understand a lot of that. Like, would you call Gary Kubiak's offenses, especially the game plan in the first half a lot of times, the classic Gary Kubiak vanilla? Yeah, you would. You know why? Because they're running. They're just saying we're better at this than you, and we're coming at you, and we don't really care that you know where we're going. We're just going to assume we can out-execute you. Well, that's, that's the basis of Jeremy Bates. And to your point, uh, I, when you guys are talking about it, it's not the, it's not the naggy Andy Reid – Doug Peterson, 15 motions before we actually snap the ball, which I thought was funny. I thought in some cases the Chiefs just confused themselves with all that stupid motion. But um, it, this is going to be very straightforward. Run left, run light, a little play action, right? You know, try to hit a deep ball, a couple layers to the passes, but this isn't going to be motion all over the place to try to get your defense confused. No, try to knock Sam Darnold off the spot, even though – he has shown nice footwork, I think, in terms of being able to buy that extra second or two with a step forward, a step back, a step laterally. That being said, he's not going to take off and run the football like some of the quarterbacks you've seen to this point in the year, certainly not like Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. So that element isn't as great in this game as others. Here's what I would warn the Broncos about, not that I'm a Sam Darnold expert, but here's what I'd warn him about. He can make a throw, Andrew that could burn you the way Patrick Mahomes can. He's got that quick release and a strong arm. Mahomes has been a little bit ridiculous. When I saw, you know, the one thing Bronco fans need to take comfort in, and maybe even this own team needs to take comfort in, you had the right game plan. You just, at some point, I hate to do it. You had you it for 47 minutes. Well, but how many times even, you know what? 
normal quarterbacks and if and buts and this and that, you know, it's the players that make one team better than the other. But I'll tell you what, you had him off his spot. You had him moving. You did a lot of what you wanted to do. You do have to tip your cap to that kid for getting away and making plays. And you know what? He's not going to be able to do that forever, but it's going to be five years of headache. You know, that kind of arm strength, that kind of being able to throw on the run like he does. Now, again, you had said it, and I 100% agree with you, Sam Darnold is not going to run the way that he does, and I don't even think he has the pull-away ability that Mahomes has. But he does have a nice release and a strong arm. So don't let someone sneak behind you because you're peeking in the backfield because he will make you pay. Yeah, there's a reason why they handed him the, the keys right now. Because Josh McCown was a pretty good quarterback for the Jets for most of last year. But they said, okay, we're going all in with Sam Darnold right now. They felt like he had advanced to the point where he was ready to take the reins. Because th- I think their initial plan was, hey, we've got Sam Darnold. They had Teddy Bridgewater for a while until trading him to the Saints. They had options that allowed them to let this year be a learn-from-the-bench year for Sam Darnold. But he showed them enough to where they thought he's ready. And it's been up and down. He had that interception right out of the blocks against Detroit, but he settled down in that game, played well. It's been like you'd expect for a rookie, some good, some bad. They're still convinced that he is their guy. He's shown nothing at this point to indicate that he won't work out as a good starting quarterback in this league in the long term. Look, for my money, he'll be the best quarterback in that division once Brady leaves. I, I, I know Josh Allen's done a couple things fans got excited about, but I think you and I even talked about it. No love for Tannehill. Whole huh? lot of whole lot of run. No, no, man. Because you know what? Last week, watching Tannehill against the Patriots, He's still Tannehill, you know what I mean? And, and unfortunately, I, like, look, Josh Allen's a local kid, and there's a lot I like about his compete and want to and kind of attitude and gravitas and all that stuff, Andrew. And, and I think he can do some things athletically, but you're going to get killed running the way he did to beat the Vikings. That isn't going to work for you long term. And he's still throwing mostly to the outside. He hasn't mastered throwing down the middle just yet. Oh, and then back to this. So tell me how, I mean, look at Ryan Tannehill. You tell me, how much has Ryan Tannehill really changed from what he was coming into the league? He's a little bit high with his throws. He's not as accurate as you want. I just feel like when I watch the Patriot game, everything that was the book on him when he came out, the scouts aren't stupid, even though sometimes people want to say they are. A lot of what they complained about from him, what, five years ago, six years ago, it's still there. He could not hit a guy on the crossing. It's so frustrating, you know? The Patriots, it's just like every year. What are you dealing you got three young quarterbacks in that division, mm-hmm. and frankly, by this point, don't you expect more from Tannehill? I'm like, this is just the same. This is your hope? He went into the game coming off his best 10-game stretch, and obviously it was broken up by the ACL injury he had last year, but he came into the game coming off of a pretty good stretch dating back to late in 2016 and then early in 2018 after coming back. So I was starting to think, okay, maybe Ryan Tannehill is different. And then he got exposed in New England, as is often the case for the Dolphins. I, I will, you know what, no matter what you want to say, I give our guy, Adam Gase, a lot of credit. I know there was some stuff last year that left everybody with a bad taste in their mouth, but the guy knows how to cover up for a quarterback a little bit. He and McCoy, remember, were the masterminds of letting that Tim Tebow thing work for as long as it did in 2011. But sooner or later, you're either better than your opponent or you're not. Sooner or later in the NFL, it's why John always said this offseason, you've got to win from the pocket. Because guess what? In this league, they know what you don't want to do. And especially when you're facing Belichick, and that's who right now you have to get through if you want to go to anything important, 
He's going to make you do what you don't want to do. And Ryan Tannehill showed when you force me into that, I still can't execute. And I think that's when I'm looking at these young quarterbacks. I don't know that Josh Allen can do it from the pocket yet. But I see indications long-term that Sam Darnold can. I see indications that Baker Mayfield can. He has the running tool in his drawer, but he doesn't really want to use it. No, he, he wants, wants to hurt you with his arms. Same as Mahomes. Yeah, those guys want to stay in the pocket and throw. They may have mobility, but their first priority is to stay in the pocket. In that regard, they're on the right track. It sort of reminds me of Aaron Rodgers a decade ago. Yeah, he could run the ball, but his first priority was always stay in the pocket. Do I dare venture into waters you guys waded into yesterday that had so many upset with our ring of famer, Steve Atwater? Sure, why not? You, you seem a little unsure about even where I'm going. You know how big a fan I am of Aaron Rodgers, and I love watching the guy. Yes. And I'm telling you right now, at this point, all history aside, I can't 100% say Steve is wrong for wanting to go with the younger Mahomes without a knee injury right now. If you told me, okay, you're planning for the organization four or five years from now, I would take Patrick Mahomes over Aaron Rodgers. Now I'm sitting but if there sweating the decision. If you're asking me to win a game Sunday, if you're asking me to win Super Bowl 53, I'm going with Rodgers. Because the thing with Patrick Mahomes, it's all well and good, and he's doing great, and I, you, know, you can't help but be dazzled. And I think he's going to be an outstanding quarterback who is going to be a problem for the Broncos and the AFC West for a long time. But... We haven't had that moment where he's hit real adversity. Now, I think the Broncos showed some things Monday night that other teams could replicate. But I want to see what Mahomes does this Sunday against Jacksonville because the way the Jaguars are playing defense, that's the kind of D that could cause him problems and start a little bit of that regression that we see from just about every young quarterback since time immemorial. We see them start fast, then teams throw something different at him after having some film to study, and then there's a bit of a regression. A great example that's fresh in people's minds is Carson Wentz. Oh, yeah. Eagles start out so hot in 2016, teams adjusted, and then Wentz hit the skids for about two months. Then at the end of the year, the last three games of that season, he'd made the corrections, and he was back in a positive direction, and he carried that forward in 2017, and he's still doing well now. I think with Patrick Mahomes, there's going to come a point where he hits a little bit of a skid. The Broncos may get to benefit from that if the timing is right when they go out to Arrowhead later on this month, and then... The counter move is what will determine his long-term success. See, this may sound insane. You're already hinting at what I was going to tell you. I almost wish the Broncos-Chiefs game, even though it's already coming quick because they won't even have faced L.A. before they finished with the Chiefs, which sometimes happens. I almost wish they could play him again in like two weeks because now I think the Broncos, like the second and 30, which is just the gut kicker for ah. me, um, if Vaughn doesn't get out of his rush lane, if a couple guys keep the rush lanes true, how different is that? And Vaughn now knows. Vaughn's smart, too. Vaughn, I'm sure Vaughn's going to come back with a different game plan against this kid when they face again. And hopefully he can give something to Chubb. And, you know, I mean, look, there's just some things. It was so funny because whatever the Broncos saw last year against the Chiefs was clearly just a dumbed-down game plan because it was different. Um, 
I don't know. I'm I'm just very curious to see what they can do again because the the other great fate, the kind of the positive light of Sunday's game, and there are plenty of them if we just choose to get over the frustration of the loss and see what has happened. Adam Jones showed me that he there's just a savviness to him that is starting to give me some comfort as the third corner. That guy did a great job, I thought, of keeping Tyree Kill kind of enclosed. Nobody really let Tyree Kill bust him open, and they're going to have to do that in Arrowhead. The Broncos weren't beaten vertically very often. When they were beaten, it was usually by the tight ends. Tyreek Hill, not really a big factor. I, that's Honestly, I thought Travis Kelsey was going to be more of a problem in that game than Tyreek Hill, and that proved to be the case. But Adam Jones, there was a reason why you sat him in Baltimore. You could not potentially risk losing him for a month or more in order to have him ready to play one game because Adam Jones is crucial to what this defense wants to do and needs to do, especially with Bradley Roby still struggling. Yeah, it's uh, although I thought Bradley played a nice game the other night. He too. played Look, better. He played the, better. The, the, the Chiefs came in with a great offense, and they didn't even get to their, their mark, and it took them struggling. It took a little late-game magic and a left-handed pass for them to finally get to that 27-point threshold. So, um, you know, I – Bottom line is this, the pass protection, the offensive line has to hold up, in my mind, a little bit better in pass protection, and I think we'll start to see some of what we need to see. If we can just get that short up a bit, I think you've got a, a playoff team here. But you do have to make some adjustments there, I think. And you need to win on the road. And Absolutely. that brings us to this game. The Broncos are 1-10 in 10 in their last 11 road games. As we pointed out on Thursday's first and 10 at 10, in those 11 games, they have a negative turnover margin in nine of them. The other two, it's even. You can't be sloppy with the football. Look, Andrew, as I looked at the schedule today, it's real simple, and I think you're probably already aware of this. Most of your winnable games the rest of the year are actually going to be opponents on the roll. At Arizona, at Oakland again, uh, you still got – there was one more really – San Francisco without Jimmy Garoppolo. One. There's three or four that you probably should win on the road, more so than what the home opponents are. That's true. But you have to do that. And first things first, you've got to have confidence going on the road. Certainly, you're hearing the right things from the Broncos in the locker room this week. They have to go out there on Sunday and prove that. Not only win on the road, but also stop a streak. Last year became an eight-game losing streak. This year the losing streak is at two. I think this game is a litmus test for the Broncos in terms of getting where they want to go because if you lose this one, you're coming back home trying to get back to 500 with perhaps the best team in football right now coming in with the Rams. It's a linchpin game. I'm sorry. There's four or five plays that make a game. This is one of the games that may make a season. It does feel like the game two weeks ago in Baltimore, another fork in the road type game. And maybe these forks in the road just keep happening until the Broncos get some road wins that can confirm an end to their recent road woes. Finally, it's time to catch up with Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers, an author and longtime NFL beat reporter in New York. Steve Atwater, Ryan Edwards, and I talked with him about the Hall of Fame chances for Broncos owner Pat Bowen as well as Atwater himself. Gary, you're on with Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, and Steve Atwater. How are you, sir? Hey, Gary. I am doing good. Hey, Steve, I just want you to know that right here on my desk at home, I have my Hall of Fame ballot, and every year at this time, I always check off your name as we vote it down to 25. But I only have one of 48 votes, so I do what I can do. 
Well, hey, I appreciate that. But I've talked to the other 47. They told me the same thing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. We, we actually had a whole plan in place of saying, you know, former New York Jet Steve Atwater. No, 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 no. no. Uh, we thought maybe if that might help uh, his case. But uh, well, it's, it's know, good to hear. I, I don't want to upset Broncos fans, but, you know, Privately, Steve has told me, even though you don't go into the Hall of Fame, you know, designating a team, but that if you could, he would go in as a member of the Jets. Isn't that right, Steve? <laughs> oh, you got you got your pads on. Get pads on, Gary. <laughs> I'm coming to hit you. <laughs> wow. No, well, well, we'll definitely. Well, well, Gary, we'll definitely circle back to that at another date. Uh, and speaking of the Hall of Fame, of course. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, we're going to use that one. Trust me. Uh, he'll, he'll never hear the end of that. Uh, speaking of the Hall of Fame, of course, Mr. Bolin, uh, also uh, up yeah. for in the contributors community. Uh, how do you feel about his chances this year? Oh, I think that he'll, he'll get in. And um, it was only a matter of time with him. And once they established this, contributors committee a few years ago there was a handful of owners and a handful of general managers that you figured would get in you know, within the first five or six years and and that's pretty much what happened so i'm very happy for him that he's made it as a finalist and i would anticipate in uh, on the day before the Super Bowl when we vote that he'll get the required 80 percent of the vote that he needs but it, it would be very well deserved now, of course, Pat Bowen nominated from the Contributors Committee. Do you feel like in the last few years that that committee and having two or one contributors nominate per year, that that has helped get some guys into the Hall of Fame that wouldn't have otherwise made it? Oh, without question. I mean, it's, uh, it's separated the owners uh, and the general managers from the players and the coaches. And I would actually like to see the coaches – get into the contributor category as well. Because when we're sitting in the room, it's really hard when you're arguing uh, a player versus a coach. It's hard enough when you're arguing or discussing an offensive lineman versus a safety. But then when you have to talk about coaches, it's just a completely different conversation. So um, having that separate category has has certainly allowed us to – get some people in the Hall of Fame that might have had a wait for who knows how long. So it's, it's a good thing. And there's only 300 plus, maybe 310 people in the Hall of Fame in all the years, uh, in the 50-some-odd years that they've had the Hall of Fame. So uh, we have a lot of, a lot of people who um, are in the senior category now that somehow fell through the cracks and didn't get in as a modern-era candidate. Uh, so it's hard enough to kind of clean that up and get these guys in. So I'm, I'm glad now we have a mechanism for getting the contributors in. Thanks to Ryan, Steve, Andy, Colby Wadman, and Gary Myers for joining me this week. I'm Andrew Mason. Talk to you next time. This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsin' Around.